The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe Christmas Eve. Right, you may be seated. Well, I hope you're in a Christmassy mood. How can you not be with some good carols? Ron's going to be passing out the cocoa soon and maybe some... Uh, uh, apple cider? Right. No? Okay, I guess he wasn't prepared. Hey, you know, um, there's a lyric, and it, it's not Danny's, not your fault, it's the song, but I'm curious if anybody knows the controversy in the, the song, Away in the Manger. Is there a line in that that jumps out at you? No? You don't know that controversy? I think it's a way in the manger. Um, something about Jesus as a baby not crying. What's that line? No crying he makes. There's, there's controversy over that, right? Because we know, why the, we know why the author wrote it. They're wanting to emphasize the deity of Christ. But is it sinful for a baby to cry? <laughs> so that's the controversy. Debated amongst yourselves later today. So enjoy that. Uh, Open your Bibles to John 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 6 through 13. Wow, this is an amazing time of year. And this first chapter of John is an incredible chapter because we are confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. And what an amazing thought, right? That our God, the one who is... One God, yet three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in perfect union, perfect love, and that the Father would send His only Son to us. Incredible. Actually born of a woman by the Holy Spirit. So that the one who eternally exists would have a a human beginning in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man, crying as a baby, I would argue. So um, that he would come with this purpose in mind, to sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins, that we by faith would be reconciled to God, that we're given eternal life. Incredible. And we, we, oh, I know if you're like me, I've heard this my whole life, and I take it for granted, and I lose a sense of awe and wonder at it. And so this is a good time of year for us to to stop and meditate on how amazing, how incredible that is. And and the message that we have, uh, not only in our worship, but in our witness. So let's, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to... Work on our hearts to open the eyes of our hearts that we might really um, grasp this anew and marvel at it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege to come to you in prayer and address you as our Father. It's only because of your grace opening our eyes to your Son that you've given us a gift of faith so that we might receive him as Savior, as Lord. 
May this great truth never grow old in our hearts. Lord, cause us to marvel at such grace, such an amazing gift that is ours in Christ. Lord, help us to live in light of this. To even follow the example of John the Baptist here in our text, who came as a witness, bearing witness about your son Jesus, about the light. Lord, give us a a similar purpose, especially now during this season of Christmas. A purpose to point people to Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone. Dear God, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might better see what is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I know you've been standing a lot, but uh, would you stand if you're able for the reading of God's word? And John 1, beginning at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God this is the word of God you may be seated well as we uh, near the end of this marvelous year of 2020 what do you think people would say is the greatest need for the world today. I can't hear, so. Um, They would likely say, what we would likely hear from a lot of people is that um, we get a vaccine, right? Then others would say, no, 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 we want freedom to not be vaccinated. That would be the answer. Um, Some might say what the world really needs is uh, an answer to homelessness. And then others might say that, well, the problem really isn't homelessness. It's mental health and drug addiction, which leads to crime. And then there are arrests without prosecutions because our jails are full. So we have all sorts of problems. What are the answers What is the answer? What does the world need? Some might say we need education. Some might say world peace, of course. The environment, social justice. We're confronted with so many issues and so many problems and so many disagreements over the problems. And yet, here we are in little old Oregon, and we think the world's problems. we got enough problems of our own right here in Oregon, for Pete's sake. This is in honor of Pastor Dale, who loves the Babylon Bee. I thought, I thought that was hilarious. Portland's Denny unveils world's first legal, that's the key word, legal spinach and meth omelet. 
It's coming. We laugh now, but it's coming. But seriously, the world has been broken ever since Adam and Eve. And ever since then, people have wrongly identified their greatest need. According to the Gospel of John, the world's greatest need is belief in Jesus Christ. And certainly, if we rightly understand the power of the Gospel and the heart-transforming effect on those who believe, then this should be our continual prayer. This should be our continual priority. Yes, we should be concerned about many things. We should be involved in caring for our world and its problems. But don't lose sight of the ultimate answer. The one answer that affects all of the problems of the world. The answer, the gift of Jesus. John wrote his gospel to show Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. And there are witnesses to this fact. And this is the point of verses 6 and through 7 of this first chapter of John, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Witnesses are critical in shining the light on the facts of an event. Journalists interview witnesses in order to tell a story. Police investigate a crime and they look for and interview witnesses who bring clarity and help to establish the facts. And so John in his gospel presents us with witnesses. Witnesses to Christ Testimonies that compel us to belief in Jesus. And John insists that there are good witnesses, evidence for believing in Jesus. John gives several witnesses in his gospel. And I want to just quickly mention eight witnesses throughout the gospel of John. First, there is the witness of God the Father. In John 8.18, Jesus says, The Father who sent me bears witness about me. Second, Jesus bore witness of himself, saying, If I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. A third witness is the works of Jesus. Jesus said, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And this is the point, really, of of his miracles. Not simply, yes, Jesus is compassionate, towards people, but those miracles had a point of being a witness concerning who he is, that he is the God-man. A fourth witness is the witness of Scripture. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the Old Testament prophesied. And, and Jesus, these prophecies pointed to Jesus, and Jesus fulfills these prophecies, these witnesses of the truth of who Jesus is. And Jesus points out this fact saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. And one such prophecy concerns a forerunner, a forerunner to the Messiah, one whose ministry would resemble the prophet Elijah. And this is the fifth witness, John the Baptist. 
A sixth witness involves those who personally encountered Jesus. Think of the Samaritan woman who, after meeting Jesus by the well, went back to her town and said, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Or think of the man who was born blind in John chapter 9 and after Jesus healed him and he says to these Pharisees who are threatening him, one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. A seventh witness was Jesus' own disciples. For Jesus told them, you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And lastly, an eighth witness is that of the Holy Spirit, the one whom Jesus promised to send when he returned to heaven, saying, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Witnesses are important. And we have many witnesses concerning Jesus. And this morning, our text emphasizes the witness of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And Jesus also said something wonderful about John the Baptist, something that we should want said of us. He said concerning John, he was a burning and shining lamp. Wow, that that might be said of us, that we are burning and shining lamps. And I want to take a little bit of time and consider John's example for us to follow, that we might be burning and shining lamps for Jesus. First, let's consider that there is an essential content to the Christian message. The gospel message is about, of course, Jesus John said he must increase, I must decrease. And yet, who is Jesus? How will people see? How will they know the true light of Jesus unless we declare content, facts about him, such as the virgin birth or his perfect sinless life, his miracles that declare his deity, his sacrificial death for the forgiveness of our sins, his resurrection which shouts to the fact that God's justice is satisfied and we might be declared righteous. So all of these things are critical for understanding this witness, this content. So our witness is not about some vague character that's misunderstood by many, but instead it's the historic, the biblical person of Jesus. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who is the sinless one, who gave himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, and who rose again so that we might be declared righteous in God's sight. John the Baptist bears witness about the light with content, declaring, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Concerning this, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, We are very ready to talk about our doctors and to praise the man who cured us when so many failed. 
We talk about some business which is better than others or about films and plays and actors and actresses and a thousand and one other things. We always glorify people. The world is full of it and the Christian is meant to be praising and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. A second example that John the Baptist sets for us is his manner of witness. Jesus said he was a burning and shining lamp. We need to be like lamps. Lamps don't shine their own light. No, lamps are lit. They are lit from another source of light. And in order for a lamp to shine, it must burn something. It must have a source of oil as well. So the manner of our witness is that we are not shining our own light, but we shine the light that originates with Christ. He is the source of light, and we become lights. And I always think of our Christmas Eve service, and that's what's being communicated there. He is the light. He is the source. We become burning and shining lamps as we are lit by the light of Christ. And the supply of oil that keeps our lights burning for Christ is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And we depend upon Him, our fellowship with the Spirit, in order for Christ's light to shine through us. A third example that we can learn from John the Baptist is that he shows us the goal, the goal of a faithful Christian witness. John 1.7 tells us that John came as a witness that, here's the goal, that all might believe through him. That others might believe through our witness. What a privilege. Our goal is so much bigger than, think of your life. What is its goal? It's, it's bigger than, we're wrapped up into politics and that's important. But that's not meant to be our goal as Christians. It's bigger than our views on the virus. And yes, these are important, but I guess my point would be they're secondary. Keep first things first. These are secondary. They have a place. They, but they should never get in the way of our goal as witnesses for Jesus. And if they do, then ask yourself this. Am I a burning lamp for Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit who seeks to shine the light of Jesus, is is he my oil supply that's keeping my light burning? Or am I being fed by maybe a news source? Is that my oil supply instead? If we're to persuade unbelievers of the life-changing message of the gospel, then it should be evident in our life. We need the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of frustration and anger or cynicism and fear, which is so prevalent now as we get wrapped up as our sources are something other than the Spirit of God. And we need to be careful of this because we are witnesses for Him. We need to be grace-filled people who treat others with respect and love. We need to be praying for opportunities to speak for the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives so that what people see are the characteristics of Christ and not the characteristics of Fox or CNN or whatever your source may be. 
What is the goal of your life? What ministry has God given to you? What is your particular area of influence? How is God at work in you to make you a lamp for Jesus? Cling to Him. Trust in Him. Worship Him in the midst of suffering, in the midst of disability, with the news maybe even of death. And know that when you do that, when you cling to Him, when you trust Him, when you worship Him in the midst of such heartache, that there is a bright light. And that's lit by Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And people will see this. And they'll wonder and they'll ask. We pray, they'll ask, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? And we can take no credit for this. We can't say, well, I'm just brave or I'm strong. And that's why we hear Pastor Dale say, don't tell me how brave I am. Because he's a lamp lit by Jesus. It's his light. We're the lamps. We're lit by Christ. We burn the oil of the Spirit. We shine away to the true light who is Christ. Jesus, according to verse 9, that's the, that's the phrase that we read. He is the true light. And there are a lot of things that seem important in life. There may be lights in this life that help for a moment that occupy our time. There may be lights that bring some sense of satisfaction in life or short-term purpose. But Jesus is the true light. He is the real light. He is the genuine light. And no other light, as important as it may be, as satisfying and purposeful as it may seem, no other light can show us the truth about God. The truth about ourselves. The truth about life and eternity. No other light can help us become what we're truly meant to be. What God created us to be. What God intends for us to be. No other light can shine a light on our hearts and change us. Which is what we should be praying for people in authority over us. Lord, you can change their hearts. No other light will guide us in paths of righteousness, ultimately leading us safely home. Nothing, nothing compares to this. What a gift we have to offer. The true light of Christ. And it's, I think it's so incomparably good, incomparably great, it's hard for us to rightly grasp. How do we comprehend the reality that we are adopted by God. How do we grasp forgiveness of a debt that we could never pay? Or that we've come into a family with an inheritance that is immeasurable. And maybe one of our biggest problems is that it's, it's so good that we struggle to understand the depths of this kind of joy associated with it. And we need to rightly see the gift of God. And that we don't, maybe this is why we end up settling for other lights, fleeting pleasures that can't satisfy. Maybe this is why Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that we, that believers 
believers, he prays, would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they might know what is the hope to which God has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance. We need our eyes to be opened to see the riches that belong to us in Jesus. And thus, we, when we see this, we'll know what we have to offer others. And the benefit described in his word to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. People take that, that uh, category that position for granted and, and we think of humanity as children of God and there's a sense in which that's true we're made in the image of God and, and yet if you don't know Jesus because you've been people have been alienated by sin you're not a child of God you can gain the whole world and lose your soul and what benefit, what gain compares to being a child of God, chosen by Him, loved by Him, given all the riches of a glorious inheritance, an unending, eternal, loving relationship with your Maker, who alone is able to satisfy you forever. No gift compares to this. And it's by faith. Faith believes and receives Jesus as he has revealed himself to be. Faith is not some vague awareness of some guy, Jesus. It's not just believing that he's a real person from a couple thousand years ago. It's not simply appreciating his teaching or his moral example. No, saving faith requires us to personally receive Jesus as he has offered himself to us as Savior for our sins. And this is true faith in the true light that brings the greatest privilege of all, the right to become children of God. And what does it mean to be a child of God? Like I said, humanity, people think that it's just being human. But sin alienated us from God. And apart from faith in Christ, we are not in relationship with him. Apart from Christ, we are not children of God. Apart from Christ, we are not loved by a heavenly father who gives us good and perfect gifts. No, only true faith in the true light who is Christ brings this greatest of all privilege, the right to become children of God. And oh, John marvels at this. As you read his first epistle and he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we might be called children of God. There's no earthly title, no position that compares to this. Doctor, CEO, president, nothing compares with being child of God. This alone is the highest possible privilege to be brought into God's family and become his blessed children. And Jesus is God's true son and in him we are adopted as sons and daughters. So what does it mean to be God's children? I just want to think about 
a few benefits here. First, it means that God dearly, as a father, loves us. And oh, what a sad thing that we dads might confuse our children about God as father. How wonderful, how wonderful this position is. How sad because some of you maybe had an unloving father or an abusive father and you struggle to see the relationship of father as a good thing. And you know sadness over this because your heart yearns for a true father and God is that father who shows compassion to his children, who provides and protects. Jesus tells us what a good and perfect father God is, saying, even the hairs on your head are numbered by him. And if the birds don't worry about their provision because your heavenly father cares for them, then how much more is he good to you, you who are valued by him? Children don't always know what's best for them. And yet dads, good dads, they anticipate and lovingly provide for them. And if we're in Christ, God is like that to us. He will supply our every need because He is our Father. A second benefit, privilege that we have is God's loving discipline. And we don't like discipline, but I remember years ago talking to some kid in the neighborhood and he was just living with someone. He didn't have a dad. And I remember him saying to me, and he was only like nine or ten, and it just jumped out at me because he became friends with my daughters when they were little, and he actually said something along the lines of they're lucky. I think they were in trouble for something. He said, they're lucky that they have you basically disciplining them. He could do whatever he wants, and he knew that that was wrong. So it's a good thing to have a God who lovingly disciplines. All loving fathers will train and discipline their children. They love their own in a special way. They're involved in their lives. They correct They point them to what will benefit them. And God will do the same in our lives. Prodding us toward holiness. Lovingly correcting and disciplining us when we sin. And we read in Hebrews 12, For the Lord disciplines the the ones He loves. And chastises every son whom He receives. Another great privilege is that the children of God are heirs of God's eternal glory. We have a glorious inheritance, a rich inheritance. And again, that's what Paul is praying that we we comprehend, that we see in Ephesians 1 as he prays for the saints. Romans 8.17 reminds us that Christians are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And 2 Corinthians 4, my favorite I love this passage of scripture it tells how this life is preparing us for what awaits us all that you're going through is connected to what God is giving will give us one day 
and how I love this verse because it means that any and every circumstance that I go through, I know that God is in absolute control and that He is a good Father who gives good gifts. And this part of God's Word is so precious to me because it tells me that there is a purpose in everything. That every hardship is for the sake of an eventual satisfaction, a weight of glory received as a rich inheritance. It's not wasted. It's not just happening. There's a purpose. The reminder of this privilege guards us from losing hearts, giving up. And in fact, this verse tells us so we do not lose heart. Why? Yes, even though our outer self is wasting away, even as Pastor Dale has said, ALS is taking its toll, we do not lose heart because our inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart because this light momentary affliction and yes, ALS and cancer and all sorts of things, that they are momentary in comparison to what is promised us. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Compared to this, all that we go through is light and momentary. And because of its purpose, because of God's intentional loving work, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Our sufferings are so temporary. They're like a morning mist. But the things that are unseen, the promises of God, the glory that is connected to and being worked in our sufferings, Oh, these are eternal. They are rich. They are weighty. And they will prove to be so satisfying. You will thank the Lord and praise Him for all that He has done. I love this truth. We are heirs of God's eternal glory. And He is lovingly preparing for us for it. There's no pointless suffering, no disconnected event for a child of God, no, a, a great privilege in being a child of God is the confidence that it will all be worth it. One day we'll experience a glory that is directly connected to the sufferings in life. A final privilege that we'll consider this morning is the, the intimate access, intimate access that we have to God in prayer. If someone of great status, someone you greatly admire were to say to you, oh, no, no, don't call me sir, don't call me mister, just call me by my first name. Sin Sinclair Ferguson writes, but that privilege pales into insignificance by comparison with what we have here. Christ is giving us access to the presence of His Father and saying to us, you may now speak to Him as I speak to Him. With the same right of access, with the same sense of intimacy, with the same assurance that He loves you. 
we may speak with the Father just as He speaks with the Father. Jesus taught us to pray our Father, not Mr., not Sir, but with the same intimacy that, that Jesus enjoys as God's Son. These are the, the privileges being spoken of in verse 12, privileges associated with being a child of God. And this can only be so through faith in Jesus. It's faith alone. It's not your past. It's not your position of authority. It's not your money. It's not your supposed moral goodness. Not your wise contribution. No, it's, it's faith alone. It's to all who did receive Him. To these, He gave the right to become children of God. Christian, your, your greatest possession is your faith in Jesus. Only faith reminds you of God's fatherly love. Only faith assures you of God's care in difficult times. Only faith comforts you of God's loving discipline. Only faith gives the hope that your sufferings are purposefully preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. Only faith reminds you that your prayers are received and treasured by a loving Father. All of these benefits, all of these privileges come to us through belief in Jesus, belief in His promises, in His teachings, in His Word, in God, our Father, who lovingly sent true light into the world. The true light. So in light of this, we need to guard our faith. Guard our faith from many false lights in this world which will only lead to darkness. We need to commit ourselves to God's church, to worship, to prayer, to following after Jesus as His disciples. Strengthening, protecting our faith instead of taking it for granted. Don't take for granted the best gift of all. The true light. And as witnesses, as recipients of this light, we have the best gift to give. For the true light came into the world to enlighten everyone. He was, yes, rejected, and he is still rejected today. But we have, we have the glory of this gospel. And we are to be witnesses who shine the good news of Jesus. And God's word tells us that the darkness has not and it never will overcome it. So let's shine. Let's shine the light. Let's give the gift of Jesus. And Lord willing, on Christmas Eve, we'll have that candlelight service. And typically in that service, we close by lighting our candles and we light it from a source, from the Christ candle. And we'll hold our candles high and we'll sing what? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. So let's sing. Let's sing for joy. May this be true in our lives and, and in those around us. For those around us. Praying that hearts would be prepared to receive the king. And for the sake of their eternal joy. Let's pray.
Father, we give thanks for the great privilege of coming to you in prayer. We praise you as our loving Father, joyfully welcoming our prayers. Amazing. What an incredible privilege to call you Father. To know that you love us and are intimately working in our lives, giving us good and perfect gifts. Thank you for the best gift of all in Jesus, the light of the world. That he is our source of light, kept burning in our lives by the oil of your spirit. May we be shining lights that rightly witness to your love and grace. May we be bold witnesses in giving the gift of the gospel of Jesus to those around us. Oh, Father, forgive us for taking our faith for granted. Give us refreshment and joy in what you have so graciously given us. Make us mindful of those around us who are in the dark and in need of the light of Christ. Make us sensitive to the leading of your spirit. Lord, impress upon us to pray. Let us never lose hope, but always trust in you. We pray in the name of Jesus, the true light. Amen. We'll take joy in the truth, this truth from God's word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. God bless you. It's so good to be together and to see you. And I pray that you have a wonderful Lord's Day.